0: This is the fourth episode in our groundbreaking podcast series, Behind the Walls. For the first time, prison staff from New South Wales, Australia, take you behind the walls of their prisons to explain what really goes on. My name's Michael Duffy and I was a court reporter for years, but I had no idea what happened to convicted offenders when they were taken off to prison. Like many people, I was just glad it was someone else's job to look after them. So far in this series, we've talked a lot about security, in the important but narrow sense of making sure inmates don't escape from prison and behave themselves while they're there. But there is a much broader meaning of security for which prison officers and prison staff are also responsible. That's the security of the community once an inmate finishes their sentence and leaves prison. Will they re-offend? And just what can prison staff do to prevent that while the inmate is still inside? They can actually do quite a lot. From the moment someone is convicted and goes to prison, they're given something called a case management plan. This basically maps out the efforts that are going to be made to help them rehabilitate while they're in prison. It involves things like education, programs to discourage offending behaviour, vocational training, work and also assistance on leaving prison. Things such as accommodation and jobs. And later today, you'll hear the story of Damo an armed hold-up offender who turned his life around with commendable success. But let's start with the basic challenge. Here's Wayne Bywater from Macquarie Correctional Centre at Wellington. Macquarie's one of the new rapid-build, dormitory-style prisons with a huge emphasis on rehabilitation. The general general
1: public believe, 99% of the general public believe, if an inmate's been sentenced to the jail, they should be uh, locked in a cage and fed bread and water because that's what they deserve, and... Rightly so with some some people that have come that well, some people come to jail. They've come to jail for serious crimes. The problem that we have as a as a service is that ninety-nine percent of all inmates get out one day. And I'd like to think that the product that we're putting out the gate is better than what came in to the gate. We treat people how you want to be treated. And we're found with that with those rules in place that to put it down to basic, you treat basics, if you
0: treat someone like an animal, they'll act like an animal. Rehabilitation is a massive effort. It's carried out by staff most of us never hear of because they're not correctional officers. These are the services and programs officers, known as SAPOs. They're the education staff. They're the supervisors in the various industries and workshops that flourish in prisons. Together, and of course supported by the correctional officers, these unsung heroes face the enormous challenge of turning lives around. It's a challenge worth tackling because almost every prisoner will get out one day and they could be driving on the same road as you or sitting next to you or a member of your family on a bus. To put it simply, it's better for everyone if that offender left prison a better person than when they came in. Case management officers are responsible for an offender's journey through the prison system or at least for mapping it out. Jacqueline Forbes from Cooma explains what happens.
2: So we're essentially hoping to mitigate the risk of that person coming out and re-offending when they get back into the community. So we are investing in um, quality interventions that are going to target their their, their specific needs individually. Um, so, you know, you know, we look at things like drug use. um, We look at um, their accommodation situation when they're coming out. Really, it's about addressing their specific offence needs. So if they've um, got a history of addiction, so really targeting that addiction, what is it about drugs, alcohol, gambling that leads them to offending? So really looking at how we can address that need. Um, Reintegration is huge. So what What sort of supports can we put in place for for that inmate when they come out of custody that's going to strengthen their chances of um, being successful on parole orders or community orders? That in conjunction with offering them good employment opportunities in custody to bolster their skills um, and offering them opportunities for progression through custody to get day leave, to get reintegration support, to get works release, Those things, particularly for long-term inmates who have been in custody for a long time, um, act as protective factors when they get out.
0: In Jacqueline's experience, results are possible.
2: Whenever you speak to an inmate, there are certain motivating factors that, you know, I think a lot of them do sit in that contemplation stage of change um, where it's the life they've always known or those are always the barriers that they've faced and it's difficult for change. It's difficult for them to find what is going to motivate them to do it.
0: Will Coro is a SAPO who delivers programs to inmates at Kirkconnell, and this is what that involves. We,
3: we invite the, the um, offender to, to undertake this program it's based around their criminogenic needs. For example, it might be domestic violence, more than likely it's to do with drug and alcohol use. Um, we have anger management as well, and we have a program which is a foundation, uh, fundamental program. and. Um, what happens here is the, the inmate then sits, he partakes in a 20-session program, 40 hours, and he attends that two days a week for two hours each session. And we we talk about, for example, their um, domestic violence. What is it? What is it about their core beliefs? What is it about their behaviour? What has happened in their life that they hold these beliefs about an intimate partner? and they're basically their, their um, ideas about their own male role models as well. Um, we look at that and we work through that and we, we look at also the impact, the impact on others, namely their children, family, society as such as well. We do an, uh, what we call an event map uh, during that program as well in that session and um, they have a look at what were the things that led up to offending behaviour. Um, for this fellow here, he, he may have been witness to his father um, abusing his mother, whether it be verbal, physical abuse, emotional, mental, which happens a lot. And um, the, the young person can come to the, the belief that this is how we treat women. This is what happens. When, when this situation, when we get into an argument and things aren't going our way, this is how I behave so that it makes me feel better. Um, whether we lash out, whether we abuse, or the emotional, the mental side of it as well, and it becomes a learned behaviour. Um, and what has happened is because of the poor role modelling. So that, that um, young child then grows into an adult and you normally find that this child is also
0: treating their girlfriends exactly the same sort of way. But Will makes the very important point that change in an inmate has to come from within. If he or she doesn't want to reform, all the other help that the um, officers can give him, the other staff can give him, won't change that. If I think back about when this happened last time,
3: and this is what I did, this was the result I ended up with, and I have to break that some way. And we call what we call rational emotive behaviour therapy. It's about challenging that unhelpful thought and thinking, well, this is what happened last time. This was what this was the outcome. How do I change that?
0: What do I need to do? Custodial officers play an important role in supporting rehabilitation through their daily interactions with inmates, even though they don't actually deliver the programs themselves. Wayne Bywater explains something known as 5-Minute Intervention, which is a fairly new program to support staff to have meaningful conversations with inmates about turning their lives around.
1: At the moment, the department's trying to train all prison officers in what's called FMI training, which is 5-Minute Interventions. And very briefly like it's it 's much more complex than this, but it 's virtually about how to speak to people. I found it interesting when the training came through Macquarie because it 's what we already do in a way, and it 's why Macquarie works, but in saying that it's not new like like I said, twenty years in the job i've always looked up to prison officers, not the ones that could wrestle someone or you know twelve foot tall and a big chest i 'd look you know, we've always had prison officers, those, you know, those prison officers that have been around for 20, 30 years or even or less time that just know how to talk to people. Um, and it's amazing what you can
0: achieve when you can actually uh, talk to someone at the same level. India McMillan is a case manager at Macquarie and speaks about some of the challenges of that role for the SAPOs who actually deliver the programs.
4: I think they see us as someone that they can open up and talk to and to support, which is part of case management. You know, we are there to support them and learn about their strengths. So clearly they're here um, for things that they haven't done right to the community, um, but we look at what their strengths are. So we have a lot of people that, you know, um, they've got a lot of childhood trauma, which makes them quite resilient, and they're survivors of their lifestyle and their childhood and things like that. But they don't see themselves as that, so it's, a lot of them will see themselves as not a nice person, or look, you know, I'm, I am just a number, I am a piece of crap, you know, those kind of self opinions that we that, that they have about each other. So um, we look at their strengths. So you know, what was going on for you back in, you know through your fundamental years and things like that, and then we work with those strengths as well.
0: Karen Allen, another Macquarie case manager, recalls the assistance that we were able to give just one inmate.
5: So an inmate we had um, come in, he was a long-time drug user, so had been using since he was 16 years old. Um, That followed through when he came into custody, so continued using Bute whilst in custody. He had um, no housing, um, very limited employment history... So didn't have many skills, that sort of thing. So what happened um, with him was when we did the interview, we worked out what he's going to need and what we can provide him with whilst he's in custody. Um, so we ended up getting him in contact with Justice Health, um, who provided t- treatment for his drug addiction. So they put him on the um, like an opiate substance treatment program. Um, So therefore, he reduced his use and eventually cut down whilst he was in custody. He ended up being employed in the engineering unit and was working a double shift, um, so gaining skills in that area and went on to complete his Cert 2. And we got him, so in regards to housing, um, you know, completed a housing form, he hasn't been released yet, but that's still a couple of things we're working on. He's got psychology services there to assist with mental health. Um, and SAPO's will services and programs officers there to assist with you know getting him identification, Medicare cards, just the simple things that he's going to need for when he gets released into the community. So it doesn't sound like a lot to us, you know, the simple things in life. But I think yeah, when he's been in custody, in and out of custody for so long, with a drug addiction, those little things are quite hard to get. So massive achievements being able to you know cease drug use whilst in custody and getting skills for someone who's never really been employed in the community.
0: Here's Jacqueline Forbes from Coomer again.
2: People do change. Um, you know, we, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't do this job if I truly didn't believe that and I have seen that. Uh, you know, we've had guys um, that have spent a long period of time in custody and then come out the other side with a job, you know, and somewhere to live and hope um, for their future. You know, being a part of that person's, being, part, being a part of that change um, is, is extremely rewarding.
0: You're listening to Behind the Walls, an exclusive look at the prison system of New South Wales, Australia. It's been recorded in the state capital of Sydney, one of the few cities in the world that was founded by prisoners and those who looked after them. We've always been interested in rehabilitation here, but methods have changed. As anyone who's been to Port Arthur would know, 200 years ago inmates were expected to sit in solitude and achieve rehabilitation by reflecting on the errors of their ways, perhaps assisted by religion. Nowadays, the approach is more social and more therapeutic. The idea is to involve offenders in programs, which are group discussions of their negative behaviour. Through this, it's believed, some inmates will decide and learn how to change their ways. It involves great dedication by staff, and uh, if you achieve a success rate of just 10%, you've actually done very well. But the benefits of stopping just one person reoffending for them and society are huge, and that's why the Premier has made it one of her priorities for corrective services to reduce reoffending by 5% by 2023. $330 million has been allocated for this purpose, a sign of just how important it's considered. Let's now look at one of the success stories. Damien Cuff of Bathurst is a former serious offender who turned his life around and has been generous enough to share his story with us. He says his background had a lot to do with turning to crime in the first place.
6: So, living in housing commission and very shady areas like that, that's where it all started, I'd say. Stealing from a laundrette, and it just progressed from there, taking drugs and drinking alcohol and just no regard for anyone else but myself.
0: He first went to prison when he was 18 and returned numerous times. For a while there, he spent more time in prison than out and he didn't like it.
6: You're not your own person, you're someone else's.
0: But he learned to survive.
6: You had to get yourself into its routine and once you was in its routine, it was fairly easy. You just keep to yourself, and a lot of people, a lot of young kids, they don't keep to themselves, and that's where they get into trouble. The
0: problem was that when he got out, it was just hard to stay straight.
6: There's a majority of people that, you know, can see what they've done wrong, get out, and make amends for it, and go the other way. And for a lot of people, it's not really that easy it's not that simple they get out and they go back to the same life because they don't know any better and they don't really have that opportunity they all have good intentions and then a lot of people can't deal with failure and if you're if you grow up grow up in that sort of environment you're just a product of your environment. And for a lot of people, it's hard to get away from that environment. They go back to the same crowds, the same areas, where they could be looking at going on the straight and narrow, get bored, start hanging out with mates, and then they're already on the police radar because they're known to police. It just... It's a, It's a snowball effect, I think.
0: Damien's most recent stretch was nine years for armed robbery and kidnapping. Since then, he hasn't been back and has now made a success of his life with a wife and children and his own home. I asked him why things changed when he last left prison nine years ago.
6: I knew I wasn't getting any younger. And at that stage, I didn't have a family. I had basically nothing. And I've always wanted children, own a house, you know, stable job. He was ready for change but he needed support and this time he found it. Just having that support when you get out. Normally blokes get out and they go back to the same area, the same people that they always hung with and got in trouble with and did all that. I I was given an opportunity before I got out here, I did work's release and I still work for that company now. So they offered me a position if I was willing to stay and what better opportunity than to stay in Baffers, away from everything else I know and start fresh because nobody knows me.
0: I asked how this was different from previous times leaving prison.
6: I had no support, none whatsoever. I generally got out and I was homeless. When I got out, get out with a dole check, and that's it. And yeah, having having no work, nowhere to live, and anything like that, you, you're pretty much relying on other people. So that's people that you hung out with and got in trouble with, used drugs with, did all that sort of stuff. Uh, this time, just I had the the people that I work for. Um, they actually, my boss, got accommodation for me, put furniture in it and cutlery and all that sort of stuff and everything else was left to me. So it was up to me to turn up to work and do all that, that sort of stuff. And yeah.
0: Once he'd left prison, Damien came into contact with then Bathurst prisoner governor Mark Kennedy and the two became friends. Damien explains how this came about.
6: I met Keno because Keno used to be the footy coach down at the Bush Rangers, and one of the boys that who was the apprentice at work, he played, and we just got to talking, and he said something about football, and he took me down to training, and and here we are. I'm like still good mates with Keno, and because didn't. He knew about me, but he didn't want to make me feel like I was a criminal or, you know, I was different. I was just one of the boys playing football. Not many people, especially correctional officers, they generally look at blokes that they were locking away as different. So, you know, they. Don't look at them as normal people. Some, not all, but there are a good handful that will treat you differently in the street if they know that you're, you're in green and they're in blue.
7: Mark Kennedy, on his part, was glad to help. He came to play in my football side He's, um, and i coached him for a number of years now. And I went to Damien's wedding and did a, um, a speech at his wedding and uh, did a reading and uh, you know, I consider him a friend now. He's, I've known him, him and his wife for the last um, five years. Uh, he's done really well for himself.
0: As we just heard, Mark attended Damien's wedding.
6: I, I had two officers come to my wedding and both them officers, um, Scotty and Keno, um, they were both the only ones to do readings at my wedding. <laughs> it was kind of bizarre. I had a handful of... Of people that I grew up with there and they knew that they were officers but there was no dramas and I was more than happy to have them both at my wedding.
0: I asked Mark Kennedy why he thought Damien had succeeded in changing his life when
7: so many other offenders can't do this. Um, He's quite focused too like you know he he did quite a long time in jail and uh, he's quite focused to stay out which is good but uh, every now and then we sit down and have a have a chat and Uh, I I believe I uh, I need to be a positive role model for him and a bit of a mentor, I think, and I think he'd say the same. Uh, He's really focused on making sure that uh, he provides for his family and does the right thing, and I think that's what we all want, really.
0: Damien has turned his life around a very admirable achievement. These days, he regrets the many wasted years and has this advice for young people.
6: Take the other road. Do not go down that path. It is not worth it. You miss so much of your life, your loved ones, everything like that. It's not worth it.
0: Like Damien, Mark has seen how growing older encourages many
7: inmates to reflect upon their lives. I think it comes with age. Uh, Some of the younger guys that came through now, like when they're between 18 and 25, um, some of them want to be the next star of the Underbelly series, I suppose. And that gangster lifestyle seems to... um, resonate with them but um, i think with age and some perspective that uh, that'll soon diminish because uh, it's not a very good lifestyle to try and maintain it's a very dangerous lifestyle to try and maintain and it's quite expensive lifestyle to maintain as well so um you know it's uh hopefully they realize it sooner rather than later jails are tough places and they don't
0: get any easier with age
7: i've seen a lot of guys come in and that they're um uh, you yeah, know, the, the heavy, the jail heavy. Uh, but over time, there's always someone else that'll come through that's uh, bigger and better and, and you can't be top of the heap for, you know, forever. Um, and, um, yeah, look, it's, it, it, it gets tiring. And I've seen some of the guys come through and say, it's just not worth it anymore. It's getting too old for jail.
0: Leaving Damien's story now, it's a fact that many other prison officers have been able to influence and support offenders to change their lives. In fact, staff can be role models, as Rowena Mustard, formerly in charge of Glen Innes Correctional Centre, noted.
5: I, I, I say to the staff, we are their role models. A lot of them haven't had role models in in um, their younger days. And so by looking at how, how we react to a situation um, is going to help them react.
0: Here's Charles Heath, also from Glen Innes, on the value of helping... Even just a few people change. I believe we make a difference. I believe by coming here to to do my work, I interact with inmates, and if just one or two of them go out there and change their habits, their criminal habits, and they actually become a, a respectful person, useful member of society, then I think I've done my job, and I'm very happy about it. It's a sentiment shared by Jacqueline Forbes at Cooma.
2: It's a very interesting workplace. It's very diverse. The things you see are not what you normally would see in a particular workplace. Um, But it is, you know, we are an organisation that is thoroughly invested in changing.
0: That's the end of our fourth episode. I'd like to thank the officers who participated and hope you've learned something about what really goes on behind the walls. My thanks to Ben Cork for production and Jody Miners for advice. Look out for our next episode, Behind the Walls Staff and Inmates.
2: It's a wonderful job. (laughs) I can't speak more highly of it. I I love the work that I do. It's very rewarding. At times it's tough. um, At times it's mentally exhausting. But I do it because I love it. I think for me, um, you know, I value justice. I value community safety. Um, and so I, I, I guess I make those values a part of my daily routine. So, you know, I, I think assisting somebody to change their life is a very rewarding thing.
6: Behind the Walls
5: He's a production
6: of Corrective Services New South Wales
4: in the New South Wales
6: Department of Communities
7: and Justice.